Welcome to the Occupational Safety Leadership Podcast. This is episode number 109 with Dr. David Duffert. Uh, today, Dave and I are going to sit down and talk about indoor air, um, which to me, of course, in these days, I wonder if we're doing a better job with indoor air type of uh, issues or because we're, we're just getting cheaper and cheaper things. Uh, we're getting things uh, from overseas and different glues and different standards. It doesn't mean they're trying to do things wrong or even try to hurt us. Um, but it just it just adds to, to the more uh, complex problems of when we're trying to solve these indoor air quality issues. So, uh, Dave, could you give us just a little bit of background um, about yourself and then we'll just dive right in? Sure. Just uh, briefly, and, and first of all, Dave, I'd like to say thanks for inviting me here. This sounds like a, a great opportunity uh, to share my experience as a, a longtime uh, certified industrial hygienist. Uh, I've been uh, in, in the industrial hygiene and indoor air quality business for over uh, 30 years. Uh, I've got a, a bachelor's degree in health science, a master's degree in industrial hygiene from the University of Rochester Medical School, and I've got a master's and a doctorate in education, which focused on environmental health action research. So uh, I, I really uh, uh, tied my education experience into uh, occupational health and safety, and I love it. It's a, a wonderful field, and I, I would recommend it to anybody uh, that, that is wanting to pursue a, a professional career that's very rewarding. And so uh, I look forward to talking to you about this very, very uh, uh, important topic. Thank you, Dave. I think the uh, I have just a couple of notes. And really, when I when I when I kind of sat down and started this whole thing, um, I was really very, very focused on. So what what are the topics that I also want to know, not just uh, somebody who's brand new to 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 the field and of course uh, now we're discovering more and more hazards out there just because that technology is letting us find these hazards of course a whole lot a whole lot better um is there any way we could touch on um formaldehyde let's talk about formaldehyde exposure that we can find out in the workplace yeah you know it's like you know uh, throwing questions out about all different chemicals and uh, uh and formaldehyde is one that I have some experience with. And um, formaldehyde, of, of course, is a suspect human carcinogen. Uh, it, it's found in building materials. It can be in cabinetry, uh, new, new cabinets. It, it, it comes from overseas. You know, we're not exactly sure how it's manufactured. Um, I was involved with a, a lawsuit for a big manufacturing company here in, in the United States who installed formaldehyde-contaminated uh, joists, uh, wood joists in homes. So the new house construction was, uh, uh, when the homeowners moved in, was poisoning them with formaldehyde. So, uh, you know, as an industrial hygienist, we, we typically do industrial and commercial work, but we're finding now with these uh, hazardous chemicals like formaldehyde, we're finding them in the home. And, and we have to, you know, go into the home and test for formaldehyde. And, and we've tested, there, there's a couple different methods, NIOSH methods. You can use an active sampling pump or you can use a, 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 a passive sampling monitor to collect your sample to see uh, what the formaldehyde levels are in the, in the building. So for a, um, um, 
um, office office type area. Would you uh, would you recommend a passive as a 24 hour just to kind of say, well, this is kind of what a average day would look like, or would you rather almost put a uh, sampling pump on a person and they would just kind of do their everyday day at a uh, office? Let's just say they installed some brand new cabinets and uh, all of us have seen these gigantic cube cube farms, you know, and, and all that stuff. Um, what would you kind of like recommend for uh, a sampling type protocol for that? You know, I think that's a, an excellent question. And, and you're really each each individual um, uh, project is going to be different. So you really got to collect as much data up front about the case and, and about, you know, the material that we're evaluating. Why do we think formaldehyde is in the building? Uh, why do we think it's in the office? Are people getting sick or it, does it smell funny? You know, usually when we do indoor air quality, formaldehyde is not, uh, or an air, indoor air quality assessment, formaldehyde is not our first go-to test. But mm -hmm. if, if we know uh, the, the uh, product that is in our uh, office contains formaldehyde, um, then you want to sample. And uh, typically, you know, for, for a case like that, it's not like an industrial exposure where a worker is handling like uh, specimens of, uh, 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 you know, in, from a science lab that may contain formaldehyde. So in that case, we do personal sampling. But in an office space where you're, you know, there's not one person that is exposed to the thing, uh, the formaldehyde or the source, or, you know, I, I'd want to do a survey of the, the office and set up formaldehyde samplers, you know, area sampling versus personal sampling. In this particular case, OSHA likes to see personal sampling when you're trying to compare your results to the permissible exposure limit. But in this case, an office space, uh, you know, while it is a workplace, we still want to understand, you know, what the exposure is. And um, you could actually do both, do personal. If you had a complaint and if you had somebody who, who, who was sick or didn't, or, 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 or whose doctor told them, you know, your symptoms are, are that of someone who's been overexposed to formaldehyde, um, you, your your company should test for formaldehyde. So then we would do personal samples on that individual. And and when anybody's sick, you really want a medical doctor. I'm not a medical doctor uh, to help us determine what what the exposure is and 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 if this would be a good thing to sample for because you can sample for hundreds of different chemicals. And um, and, and we don't like to do the shotgun approach, but if we know formaldehyde's a problem, like in the case of uh, building materials that have been flagged by the manufacturer, uh, we can test for it. And we can also test if there's a suspicion. And then if it's over uh, a certain level for formaldehyde, we, we wouldn't use the OSHA PEL, right? We would probably use an indoor air quality standard like LEED for formaldehyde. And uh, I'm trying to remember what that is off the top of my head. I, I, I can't, I could probably find it here in a second, but it's well under one part per million. It's like a uh, uh, half a, I can't, I, I don't want to quote anything. It's in the micrograms per cubic meter range, very, very long. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the permissible exposure limit for OSHA is, is much greater than what you would expect in, in an office area, you know, or expect in an industry where they're handling formaldehyde. So, um, uh, to make a long story short, I know I rambled on a lot, Dave, and, uh, uh, I, I see your eyes are slowly uh, going up and down. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I I don't know if I answer your question, but you, you could do both. You could do bad mm -hmm. sampling, or uh, or you could do uh, 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 you know passive sampling or active sampling with the pump. Mm -hmm. And a, and a lot of times we get told what to do. A lot of oh, times okay. our clients, if they're insurance companies, for example might have a certified industrial hygienist writing us a, a specification. And the speci specification tells us what method to use, like a NIOSH method uh, or an OSHA method for analyzing our samples and, and even what type of sampling to do, either bad sampling or active sampling. And, uh, and, and the reason, and, and I think OSHA approves active sampling, bad sampling, I'm not sure where the approval process is and, and which is better, but they're, they're both accurate, fairly accurate. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's formaldehyde. If you suspect it, we can test for it. We can tell you if it's, uh, uh, within, you know, the, the, the most stringent standard, um, and we need to take a long enough sample to be able to do that. And usually we like to take, you know, at, at least a four to eight hour sample. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, in that case, it's probably uh, a whole lot, whole lot harder to go back and um, engineer, engineer out the source, because if the source could potentially be the furniture, it, it's, it, it's, it's really hard. Have you, let me think if I can put it a, a certain way. Have you ever had to go in and just literally uh, abate all of the furniture? And by uh, abate, you just probably just took it, and ripped it out, and said, "All right, we're just going to start over again with a different brand, a different, a uh, different quality, you know." And that's how that we're going to get rid of the, uh, in this case, uh, like formaldehyde exposure. Yeah, well, I, I might take samples of the furniture to see if formaldehyde's in it, like surface samples or bulk samples, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and to see if it's off-gassing the formaldehyde. Is the furniture really contaminated? How would the furniture have been contaminated, you know, through the process of just off-gassing from, from um, uh, cabinets? It would be mm -hmm. hard for it enough formaldehyde to get into furniture you know, several feet away to contaminate it. Um, and, and I think that's where your air sampling would tell us. Now, if we found the furniture was contaminated with formaldehyde you, and, and it continued to off-gas to a point where it was uh, dangerous or toxic, then yeah, we'd have to throw it away. Mm -hmm. um, in the cases I've been involved with, it's mostly wood products that are contaminated and the formaldehyde off gases and over a period of time it, it will dissipate with a lot of ventilation right. so we ventilate 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 and you might have to encapsulate and then they they make paints and coatings that are um you know environmentally friendly and don't off gas and seal the uh the, the wood 
product that contains the formaldehyde. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a uh, an option uh, for the homeowner or the office uh, um, manager. But uh, if that's not an option, they may say, you know, I'm afraid. I've got children. I've got babies. You know, this might be a daycare. If it was a daycare, that's a different story, you know, or an elderly home where people are highly susceptible to chemical exposure. Right, uh, right. So like you say, each case is different. So I got to uh, I got to suspect that when people when people call you, they may not know what actually is formaldehyde. It just might be we have some kind of an odor. Somebody says they have a headache and irritation. And then you, you almost have to kind of do like the whole uh, the problem is or the problem is not this and then kind of go through a whole series then, right? Yeah. And a lot of times we kind of rule out formaldehyde because that's that's not the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't have to do any sampling. I was on a job the other day where they said that the indoor, the building smelled like uh, sewer. And uh, can you come in and take some air samples? And and I said, well, I can come in, but I'm not sure we need to take air samples. So uh, we walked in and sure enough, the building smelled like a sewer. So we look around and look around and what do you think we found? Probably found a dry, a dry, dry trap someplace, right? Yeah, as simple yeah. as that. Right. So we, we, we put together a management program for them to continue to fill their floor drains with, with water. Simple. And people just need a little bit of help sometimes like that. And, and we didn't have to spend a penny on air samples. Right, right, right. And so that also makes them feel a whole lot better too, because it's a it's a it's a problem that you could solve as opposed to we tried everything and we still have the sewer smell. So Yeah. I, I, I get a little bit worried about these snake oil salesmen that try to sell air sampling to customers because I try not to sell air sampling, even though that's what we're experts in as certified industrial hygienists. Mm -hmm. Uh air sampling is just another tool in our toolbox and sometimes you know we might need a hammer but we don't need an air sampling uh pump it's just uh we might need a screwdriver but you know so we try to keep that in mind because you can spend a lot of money on air sampling. oh yes yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if it's uh if we could switch gears i sure. think i'd like to talk about um about ventilating uh, natural gas systems. So um, I'm going to try not to give away too much of the whole story, but uh, a friend of mine, one of his friends, had just died a couple of days ago. And when they went back and looked at the whole um, investigation, the whole building came back very high for carbon, uh, for carbon monoxide. Right. And um, they were really trying to figure out, was it from the natural gas boiler? I mean, not boiler, but from the natural gas heater and all that stuff, too. They do know that when they were looking at the vents, that the snow had kind of pushed up on the vents. So I don't have all of the data yet that came back. But is, is there is there any um, any tips or tricks that you could give in that kind of um, uh, ventilating of uh, natural gas burning products? Yeah, well, uh, you know, that's a that's a good point. Well, first of all, you shouldn't have any natural gas burning products in your home or in your house or in your building unless they are ventilated, right? Your furnace right. 
is required to be ventilated. Your hot water heater is required to be ventilated. Right. And they have the UL standard and the, the codes that the, the uh, HVAC guys that install these things follow. So the ventilation and, and, and your code enforcement, local code, your building code requires it. So if it gets plugged up, I mean, it's really our responsibility as building owners or facilities managers or homeowners to make sure our, our vents for our heating systems are not plugged with snow. Right. right? Um, and you have a carbon monoxide detector in your building. I, 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 you know, I, I can't think of anything else. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to put a kerosene heater or a propane tank in your house with, you know, even in your garage, you know, unless your garage doors wide open and you got a lot of fresh air, uh, you're going to get sick. And unfortunately people die every year from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't have all of uh, the details, but he did not have a detector in the house. He was also living downstairs in the basement. You know, just just kind of, kind of, kind of almost a perfect storm when when everything happened. You know, super super cold outside. Snow had what they think at least clogged up everything. So yeah, um, yeah. So that's a good message to pass along to. Uh industrial hygienists that have a monthly safety or a weekly safety or even a health and safety uh, team meetings or a lot of people have um, what do you call them toolbox talks uh -huh, uh -huh. every week you know you, you got to clear those vents on your on your heating systems uh, up, up north you know where I'm from in, in Rochester New York uh, you know we get buried in snow and uh and and it can become a big problem we hear of this problem every year yeah 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 so my son is looking at going to school up there now you know so we're down here uh over in uh the dc area so we don't get that much snow now so i've been no. i've been i've been shoveling shoveling snow the whole the whole day um but up there you guys get actual snow here it's it's uh, really light compared to up there. it's still it's still cold where you are i just drove through your area washington dc down through fredericksburg i'm actually mm -hmm. in florida right now but we oh awesome. work in rochester and um i i did have a job down here so i'm i'm actually sitting in seven degree weather out, out in the garage <laughs> uh, where, where we're living and, and i don't have to deal with that snow for for a few more days but uh <laughs> Yeah, very nice. I know very what nice. it's like. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's why I got my eyes. My eyes are all glassy from uh, shoveling the whole day. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a I, good workout, and you, you don't have to go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So, all right. So we talked about formaldehyde and carbon monoxide. Uh, how about one? Um, that for households, it's pretty darn common on the East Coast, um, radon exposure. Oh, yeah. Radon, you know, every state and EPA, they, they have pretty strict guidelines on radon, right? You, you know, the the EPA guideline for radon, uh, the action level is what? Four pico, four pico carries. Right. For pico carries per liter, I think, yes. is what mm -hmm. the, the, the unit of measure. And that's one thing is important if there's industrial hygienists or young ones watching it. Be careful of your units. You know, you always want to know what units we're talking about. Liquid, air, solid, 
mass, volume, you know, took me a long time. I'm not that smart. And it took me a long time to make sure I understand like asbestos is fibers per cc, you know, lead is milligrams per cubic meter, you know, parts per million. So uh, if you want to be a good CIH, you'll, uh, you, you'll know those units. And picocuries per liter is, like you said, is the units for radon in, in, in homes. And uh, so you can, ha and, and radon is uh, a gas, natural occurring gas, right? It comes through the ground, through a natural uh, uh, mechanism, and, uh, and it can cause lung cancer, right? Uh, and it, it's, it, they say, as dangerous as smoking cigarettes if your radon levels are uh, elevated. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what's your experience with radon? Well, I live right in one of like the radon, the radon hearts of the um, uh, country here. So I, I'd say that most most of the households are uh, going to have a system on there, you know, pump a pump and a vacuum and all that stuff. Then um, I know that we just moved into this house. And I think when we had it tested, it came back at a, a two. And that was with everything sealed, of course, and all that stuff. And we still went back and put in uh, pump and all that stuff because our mm -hmm. Our plan was was that uh, I really like my basement every it, and all of my houses. So I really wanted to take this one, fix it up, put a little gym in the basement. I got my office in the basement, all that stuff. The yeah. kids watch some TV down here, all that. So so even though that we were under that under that limit, we were still we're still thinking, well, we're probably going to have more time down here than what most people do. So we we should probably do the best job that we can. So, and the last time I had it tested, it came out at 1.2 pico, pico carries per liter then. So, uh, we, we were, we were able to bring it down, of course, a whole lot then from there. Oh, good. So, good. yeah. So, so, so for, so for, so for me, if I could really get it down even lower, then I would even do that. I'm not really sure how I would do it at, at this, at this point. Cause I do think that I have some coming in from the well and all that kind of stuff too, that I, that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if you increase your ventilation in your basement, turn over in your air. If you had some mechanical system to provide you with more fresh air, that might help. But uh, it sounds like you're in pretty good shape. I mean, you're you're uh, uh, you're under that action level that we consider, you know, hazardous for living space. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not a radon installation expert, but luckily. Uh, where I live, I, I know a company that does that work, and we I've referred him many times, and he's installed radon uh, remediation systems, and and I've seen them, and I've been participated in it in commercial buildings and in, in apartment buildings and in uh, residential buildings. In fact, I referred him to my cousin who uh, needed a radon system uh, up by Canandaigua Lake in mm. uh, upstate New York. And and he and and he dropped the radon levels that were elevated uh, up about six or seven uh, down to where you are around two or, and less. Oh, that's awesome. Two. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, they work. You know, they work by uh, taking the gas, uh, preventing it from getting into the house before uh, it gets into the house. Um, so uh, yeah, and then to to the test it there's different methods to test it right charcoal canisters there's uh e-perm uh, uh units 
There's long-term testing, there's short-term testing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and in and, and certain states, well, for example, where we live in upstate New York, the state maintains on, on their website, New York State DEC maintains the radon readings for every county, household radon readings. So they collect data from households throughout the, the state and oh, they actually allow us to look at it. So in the region that we live in Monroe County, mm -hmm. uh, the radon levels are, are negligible, zero. Um, but once we get south towards the southern tier, like towards Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. um, they start going up. And, and so, you know, just south of the New York State Thruway, radon levels start spiking, whereas north of the Thruway towards Rochester and and uh, Lake Ontario, um, the the levels are very low. Mm -hmm. very so I, I, I'm sure other states probably have, you know, data like that that you can look at to see what are the household uh, average household readings of radon uh, are they available. Mm -hmm. I have to go back and look for us. I know that I found it for the county, but I don't know if they really broke it down per household. It, it, it's like they were almost scared to say this house had this. Um, yeah, I misspoke. I, 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 I don't mean every household, but per right. county. And they took the, they didn't identify which house, but they identified oh, right, the right. town and the, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not the specific location, but the, the town within the county and the, you know, so, uh, yeah, they, they didn't like say it's Dave Duford's house. He got a, a 2.5, right? He, they don't, it's not that detailed, but right. uh, it's enough detail to give you an idea of, is it a risk? Should I bother testing? Uh, we had a neighborhood call us just south of the city and, uh, and we tested 13 houses and, um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember the results, but there wasn't anything surprising. I, I don't think out of the 13 we tested, we had one over four. And then we may have had one over four. And then we recommended, you know, some longer term testing and a retest and found a, it wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Good, good. So, Dave, we are uh, bumping up against the... Um, uh, against the clock here. Uh, yeah. If you could, if you could spend just a couple seconds and tell folks where they can find you and connect and and get more information about indoor air quality. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, again, my name's uh, Dave Dufour, Doctor Dave Dufour. I'm a certified industrial hygienist, certified safety professional, certified hazardous material manager, and I work for this company, Can Am Environmental Safety, um, out of upstate New York. Uh, www.canam, short for Canadian American, uh, ENV, short for environmental.com, canamenv.com, and my email is just the same, david at canamenv.com. Give me a call. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you, just like we talked today with Dave. I often get calls um, just, just for questions uh, about the problem. And whether or not I uh, can send you a quote or a proposal, it really doesn't matter to me. I'd like to just talk to you over the phone. And if we can solve the problem over the phone, that makes me feel good too. So um, 
give me a call, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk to talk to you about indoor air quality. Thank you, Dave. This was great. Um, so episode 109 is uh, complete. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Dr. David Ayers. Thank you and have a safe day. Thanks, Doc.